Demons Discuss, Take 23, the one with the vampire scientists. Welcome to Demons Discuss, the unofficial podcast about the All Souls universe and the topics that orbit it. We are your hosts, Angela, Jean, and Valerie. I'm Valerie, and with me is Angela and Jean. Hey, listeners. Hi, everybody. And... We're not alone. <laughs> Who do we have with us, Jean? We have our favorite vampire scientist, our fourth, Shelly Carter. Hello, Yay! everyone. All right. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Yes. On a Saturday, no less. No less. On a Saturday. <laughs> I think many, many, many people will, will remember her from the All Souls Con, but for those of you who didn't get a chance to attend or watch the live streaming, Dr. Shelley Carter did a fabulous presentation at All Souls Con, so we, she's now our fourth host for this episode. Yes, because we are not even going to pretend like we know what we're talking about <laughs> for <laughs> Chapter 36. Yes, so. it's timely. <laughs> yes. Her co-hosting is timely. Yes. <laughs> It was a strategic decision. Right. And we don't want to take our listeners through a bout of blood rage with our junk science theories and (laughs) et cetera. We actually do have an expert with us. Yeah. I don't know if I'd use the word expert. Well, compared to what we we could have had. Compared to us. Comparatively speaking, you are. We could have had five minutes of dead air. So you are like a vast improvement. (laughs) Let's talk about the science. Crickets. Yeah. Crickets. This is the part I didn't understand. Yeah. We can go over that a lot. You know, I didn't understand this part. Did you? No. No. Okay, cool. Let's move on. (laughs) So hopefully you'll get a substantive experience. Yes. Science experience out of this. You're going to do it justice. We have confidence. But there's so much to talk about. Oh, the pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do some discusser emails to start with. Sounds good. All right. Who wants to start? I shall start since I am the lucky one who gets to read Stevens. Yay. (laughs) Hello, demons. When Matthew gave Diana his mobile, that is, cell, before going hunting with Marcus, he explained the speed dial numbers 2 and 3 were programmed for Marcus and Isabeau. Who do you suppose is reached with speed dial number 1? My guess is Hamish. Also, have you ever smelled ambergris, gray amber? This is reported to be a natural discharge from the stomach of sperm whales and is used as an ingredient in some perfume. Matthew smelled this after Diana used Witchfire to save him from Juliet. Regards, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Yes, I've got got some information on whale puke we can talk about later on. The episode, so. oh. Got some answers, Stephen. I do have to say on the phone thing that I think that was in 2009. So I don't have an exact guess on who is on the speed dial. But my guess now is that he's got an iPhone. When he went to the uh, the Apple store in the Book of Life, he got an iPhone and he no longer has a speed dial because iPhones don't have speed dials. They have favorites. They have favorites. But back yeah. then? Now, on nine, back then in 2009, wasn't it 911? Was number one the emergency default on those old phones? I don't, it depends which phone you got, yeah, though, because yeah. I had work on number one on my Motorola Razor hot pink. Thank you. (laughs) Back then. (laughs) Aren't you cool? Hot pink. Hot pink. So if you programmed Um, it, the only two people that he ever said to go, like, when if you're in trouble, go straight to Mart. If you're in trouble, go straight to Fernando. So I don't know. If he's programming it for Diana, it's not necessarily who his favorite is as number one. It's an emergency contact. Maybe it's Baldwin. Yeah, I didn't even think that hard. Yeah. Well, in that regard, maybe it's Baldwin. Maybe it's Baldwin. Exactly. There you go. There it is. Especially since his ringtone <laughs> plays such a big part in the Book of Life. 
Yes, this is true. Although we've got a different ringtone for him, personally. Yeah. What is it? I'm curious. Seven Nation Army. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you see, I'm like, all right. Jean calls it Harlow's cadet song. Because oh. <laughs> she's a, a Belden in training. Yes. All right. So, Angela, who do you have? I have Kate. She says, I was thinking about, again, clothes, how Marcus has his necklace of memories. It obviously is full of special mementos, though he loves Matthew enough to part with one if he has to for Diana and Matthew to travel back in time. But to me, it seems as if Marcus's necklace is a version of a Matthew Museum and how American frontiersmen of, of it. Marcus comes from a background of unsettled society and war. No guarantee of a homestead or safe base. Then American expands west into the unknown at the time to go west must have been the same as colonizing the moon. No guarantee of a return trip. Again, no safe base. So he had to carry with him all his possessions and I wonder if, he, if that still stuck for his necklace. Plus, how more, how more American can Marcus get? He seems to embody the essence of the very country. He's from New England and fought in the American Revolution. He has a frontiersman necklace that would fit in with buckskins. He lived in New Orleans just after the War of 1812 and is described as looking like a blonde surfer from California. Throw in the fact that he probably fought in the American Civil War and let's pretend he was in Chicago working with Capone in the 1920s and 30s and he's done everything. Love the podcast as always, Kate. Shouts, Kate! Yeah, I do like... Th- Thank you, Kate! I don't know, I ever, ever thought of him working with Capone, but I, if you know me, I love all that mobster stuff, so I would love to see one of the Declaremonts in with uh, the New York and Chicago outfits. How could they not be, though? Right. You know, there's money involved. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I would think that would be a, you know, an ent- I'm thinking enterprise the Purple part. Gang in Detroit with the French connection in Michigan yeah, that could and be. the border. Running back and forth to Canada, that makes a lot of sense to me, but I'm also from Detroit, so I'm partial. <laughs> so I have one from New England Angela. Shouts New England Angela. She sent us a lovely detailed email. However, time is scarce, so I'm going to edit it down to our main points and I'll put the full version in the show notes. So Angela says, chapter 35, okay, let's examine a page of dead skin by placing it on the dining room table. Tea anyone? And then she goes, laugh out loud. (laughs) First image that came to mind was a scene uh, from National Treasure where they look for the secret message on the back of the Declaration of Independence. This totally could be Diana, Matthew, and Marcus, except no tea. And no no Nicolas Cage. No Nick Cage. (laughs) Okay, she goes on to say, I love how the topic of Mart's specialty finally came to the forefront in this chapter. That damn tea. God, that damn tea. (laughs) Sarah sniffed. I would have thought you'd go to a doctor for a prescription, not depend on old herbal lore. Sarah knew immediately, but Diana was completely oblivious still. And before you know it, Matthew had Diana pinned against the apple tree in the yard. The grimoire comes out and Marcus and Miriam have arrived. And then chapter 36, now that Diana is aware that Conceptio is the next step in life and finally begins coming back to reality, here is Marcus again with another great line. It's a vampire thing. We're very protective of our spouses. She says, cat's out of the bag now. And she's referring to Sarah's revelation of Matthew and Diana's marriage. She goes on to say that we're going to need a whiteboard from Shelley to help us out with all this Chimera talk. Thank you, Angela. And I'll put this full version of that in the show notes. So, all right, to get into this episode, we're going to begin with a recap. When we left last left off, Diana had just gotten the letter plus the page from Ashmole 782 from her parents via the house. Marcus and Miriam were inbound to America to deliver a message to Diana, and Diana being the hostess with the mostess insisted that they stayed at the bishop house. And we learned that not all witches are as 
surprising as bishops. And we're going to open here in chapter 35. Sarah, Emily, Matthew, and Diana are convened at their dining room table, examining the contents of her parents' package. And let's go from there. Take it, you guys. The first thing that I thought was really interesting was uh, I'm trying to sort out what absence and desire and blood and trying to figure out the poem. Yeah. Even uh, before that. The fact that she brought up blood means family, war, and death. Right. Hmm. Even before that, though, they're trying to figure out what it smells like. They're like, it's so heavy. And I mean, like, maybe not literally heavy, but just a heaviness about it. But we find out later on that the page does fluctuate in weight yep. in Book of Life. So that's our first clue for that. Right. I think my only take from the beginning of this is when they're examining Stephen's edition. And um, at first, I really didn't think very much of Stephen's portion of this. But when I read it this time, it hit me. I'm like, he chose Einstein for reason of all things, not just the fact that psychology hadn't been invented there. Although that was a clue for sure. But Einstein was probably the first modern person, well, modern anyway, (laughs) first modern person to bring up special relativity. And that was based on his mentor. I think it's Minkowski. His mentor Minkowski thought he was the first one to bring up time and space. So I thought, wow, maybe that was part of his clue to get them to time walk. Of course, I was oblivious. I'm like, okay, what's going to happen? And I'm changing pages, you know. Yeah. And traveling far as time walking, supposedly. Yeah. And there's so much to that the reader finds out in this chapter and so much to unpack that, I mean, you, they start comparing themselves to the or the, the king and the queen who are in the pictures. And then the, the Einstein comes up and then they talk, oh, my God, Stephen Proctor can time travel. It's just it. every single page is like it's easy to like not make connections because you're just being it's like rapid fire of information. Bombarded. Yes, yeah. Yeah. exactly. Now, the funny thing is, I know we're, we were trying to approach it from a first first look standpoint. But mm-hmm. one thing that struck me on this reread was that when they were talking about the king and the queen, I almost wonder if it's actually Rebecca and Stephen, because the passage that she remembers uh, from the Aurora Consurgates is, attend to me, all people, and listen to me, all who inhabit the world. My beloved who is red has called me. He has sought and found me. I am the flower of the field, a lily growing in the valley. I am the mother of true love and of fear and of understanding mm-hmm. and blessed hope. And how would you describe That's- Rebecca? Right. Yeah. Rebecca. Well, Lily was the Lily of the Valley was a scent that was associated with yes. Rebecca. Mm-hmm. And she's the mother of Diana. I mean, Diana embodies she fear. Has fear. Mm-hmm. And she's blessed hope because she is the mother of the new generation. Yes. Which is why I thought this time around, maybe that. And the thing is, also brings up another question, uh, question in my mind is he sought and found me. What if Stephen's not a 20th century guy? What if he walked forward and found Rebecca in time, or if he was one of the uh, Weaver children who were hidden in time so they'd survive. Mind blown. That one little passage, when it's thrown into everything else, it's really easy to say, okay, that's just another bit about Matthew and Diana, but then this time around the lily growing in the valley was the one that really stands out. Made me stop and think, wait yeah. a minute, maybe not. Hmm. Yeah. And you know, me and my Catholicism <laughs> and lack of Bible training, so I kind of skim over that stuff anyways. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, it's true. As soon as you say, you pointed that out and you say the flower of the field, a lily growing. I mean, everything that follows that sounds like Rebecca, a mother of true love, of fear and of understanding and blessed hope. I mean, because at this point, Diana's not a mother and she, we don't know that she could even be a mother. Yeah. Huh. That's all I got to it's say just, about that. Well, don't, just, don't, don't, <laughs> feel, don't feel bad because Matthew said it sounds biblical and he is the pretty much the source on the Bible. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't know either. And then he goes, but it doesn't sound quite quite right. So that that in and of itself is like, okay, why did somebody subtly alter Bible verses? Yeah. Yeah. Which brings up that whole other question about the Aurora Concertus to begin with and just what's going on with that copy in the Declaremont Library. Yeah. So just when you think you have your mind wrapped around this series, and yeah, no, we throw branches in it. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, and you're, you're free to tell us we're insane at any time, Shelley. No, I'm, I'm processing. Um, <laughs> well, and I'm trying to process that uh, in light of the fact that Stephen's mother was was supposedly a human. Like, you know, when that gets brought up, sometimes it's kind of an iffy statement. I mean, you would think that would be a known or unknown. And so right. going going into the genetics of the chromosomes, which there's been a lot of discussion about that lately, it would be more difficult for him to have two creature chromosomes from just one parent. It can be, it can happen, but it would be more difficult. But if he was, in fact, a time walker and came forward, then maybe he just found a witch and a human who would have more difficulty having a child and basically became like a, a changeling to them. You know, maybe they knew that he was not really theirs. Right. Yeah, the wow. changeling has come up in my mind, too, that exact word. Another good I mean, it, it's kind of even like Diana. Yes, she was born to Stephen and, and Rebecca, but they view it as a gift from the goddess. So it's kind of the same. Interesting. So when I reread this chapter and they were talking about Stephen time walking and then it gets to Diana being t- able to time walk, all I could think this time around, it struck me, why did Sarah not guess? that Diana had been spellbound. <laughs> but, you know, for, but for Diana to have been able to time walk as a toddler and then suddenly not really display any type of significant magic or even little magic, why did Sarah not put things together that something had happened? Right, right. Yeah, and abrupt, it was all of a sudden it was abrupt. You could time walk and, you know, yeah, and then all of a sudden you, after, can't, do anything. you can't do anything. Right, you're totally inept at everything. I think it was Sarah's assumption that Diana was just putting all that away and not, not even acknowledging acknowledging it. And that's what was part of Sarah's frustration with yeah. Diana, because she's like, you have all this power and you're not even acknowledging the fact that you're a witch. And I think for me personally, I feel like for Sarah, she believed that Diana was just blocking it out out of one trauma to maybe she was just being stubborn, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is possible, you know, um, teenage abstinence. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's the only counter I have to your statement, Shelley. I mean, that's the only thing I, I think Sarah was just Sarah's stubborn herself. No, not our Sarah. Yes, our Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, so she was just like, ugh, she doesn't even want to deal with her magic. She doesn't even want to embrace her heritage. She And at this point, we had thought that humans had killed Rebecca and Stephen. So maybe she thought she was just putting it away so she can blend as a human and just go on with her ordinary life. Because somehow she thought deep down psychologically, witchcraft was involved in 
her parents' death. So it was a self-protection measure, maybe, mm-hmm. in Sarah's mind. I and that's all, that. I, that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I don't know if witches are the same, but, you know, humans, some children can be intuitive and they kind of lose that as they grow older because yeah. they're not as new to the world anymore and they get <laughs> other things fill their brains. Yeah, they'll put that aside. They'll be like, oh, that's ch- silly childish stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, what do we think about the fact that Stephen Proctor bound the book so no one can get at it but her? This feels like collusion. This sounds like I wonder whether Stephen time walked back and put together some great big plan with Philippe at some point. See, mind blown again. You're going to have to explain further. There are too many little things that were done that that have this overarching, I, I don't know, this, the synchronicity of everything working out exactly as it was. Okay, yeah, you can explain it by part of its magic working out. But a lot of the stuff is just so precise as well. And the fact that he does it just before 1859 and just before Matthew's going to research all of those things going on. Right. I mean, yeah, I, I, I do agree with that because it's like Philippe is working so hard to have Matthew stay on course. You know, you had that one quote, and I'm not sure where it comes up. Philippe told me that mating was my destiny. And when I met you, I knew it was you were my destiny. So it's like Philippe was conditioning Matthew over the centuries. And then here you have Stephen doing kind of the same with mm-hmm. Diana. And it's like, how could yeah. all four of those creatures, Matthew, Diana, Philippe, and Stephen, exist in the same same year, in 1590 or 91, and not have ever, like you said, colluded together? Well, so now you've got the wheels spinning, which is never a good thing, Jean. Um, <laughs> it's my gift. Mm-hmm. Well, that leads to the question. So obviously, Philippe was very involved in the founding of the congregation and how all those documents are written. And it was specified that there must always be a de Claremont on the council, but it was not specified that it must be a vampire. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just a de Claremont. Yep. He knew this day was coming. Right. And other than Diana, we don't have evidence that there are non-vampire members of the family or prior That's to Diana, true. prior to a Diana, rather. This is true. Hmm. Which makes me wonder if Stephen also time walked back to 10,096 and talked to Philippe back then. Right. Uh-oh. I'm hearing zebras. <laughs> we, could, we could be getting into zebra category, but I mean, if, if they're going to collude to begin with, why not collude? If you're going to collude, collude big or go home. You know? <laughs> this is true. This is very true. This is very true. Well, I mean, to your point, Jean, uh, this came up in the Facebook group. Um, Stephen Proctor bound the book so no one can get at it but Diana. But in 1590, when Diana said, hey, we'll just take this book back, and Stephen was adamant and said, no, that book has to stay here. Because maybe he was thinking, I need to come back and take care of this and take care of that and make a mental checklist. And Diana taking it back would wreck the yeah. whole plan. Yeah, you're going to so, screw my plan if you take yeah. the book. <laughs> 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 wow, that was deep. <laughs> well, but the whole thing of it was is her. Uh, she can't take the book back with her because on her original timeline, it was her pulling the book out of the shelf that basically sent up the flare and got Matthew to Oxford. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They never would have met if she took the book with them. Right. Possibly. It would well, take care it, of a lot of things if they took the book back with right. them. So the book needed to stay there. Right. Because and the book forget- needed to lose three pages. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. So, uh, okay. So is, do you figure Stephen lost, uh, made 
the three pages disappear? No. No. It was know, Timothy. No, that was. Yeah. yeah. No, Ed, it was Edward, Edward Kelly. Kelly. Edward Kelly. Okay, one of those demons. Yes, it was Edward. <laughs> <laughs> one of those demons so dismissive. Yes. Damn. I know. <laughs> so dismissive. Who is possibly still connected to right. Timothy via, you know, Deb's announcement that Kelly's wife was a Weston originally. Yes. And also, that also, well, we're getting ahead of ourselves about uh, Timothy's ancestor being part of the book, too. Yes. All right. So, back so to, that was back to a Madison. nice spin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that I'm was sorry. a nice spin. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> See? You say it, too. <laughs> All right. So, uh, the damn tea in that combo. <laughs> mm. You know my feeling about that damn tea. I know. I know. And I feel the same way. But I feel like Diana is doing more of her coping mechanism and I'll just deal with it later, which is funny because it just reminds me of that aphorism from Matthew, from the Gospel of Matthew. Sufficient uh-huh. unto the day is the evil thereof. Meaning, I'll just think about this another mm-hmm. time. Yep. She just Scarlett O'Hara. She, <laughs> fiddle dee dee. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like she didn't know what Sarah was alluding to she was just like ah, I just don't want to think about it you know yeah so but Diana does that all the time that's her coping that's mechanism how she operates yeah. right yeah yeah ostrich thy name is Diana <laughs> yeah yeah and then uh, uh there was I made note of the scene out in the tree where they're making out more teasing more third base action you know and <laughs> and it but it's an apple tree and don't forget from the dream the the tree in the dream of the oubliette was also an apple tree is it the same apple tree? Hmm. Think about mm-hmm. that. You're spinning my brains all kinds of ways today, Jean. That's what you do. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. No, don't apologize ever. <laughs> Taking us on a ride. I may have had the chapter number wrong, but I got a whole list of <laughs> hmm, kind of things from this bunch. So, yeah. I like Strap that. In. When 1859 was brought up, and if you do a search in your ebooks, it's a significant date. And I th- that gave me definite reason to pause. I mean, to think that Stephen and Matthew missed each other. He, I mean, Matthew was By such a hair's breadth of time. Yes. Almost. Matthew was looking for a manuscript in the Ashmole Museum or library at the time. Um, and, and here Stephen was in the Bodleian. I thought that would be, I mean, they, pr- they probably could have passed each other on the street. They probably did. Yeah. Huh. That's a scary thought. But the thing is, is that Matthew knew what, I mean, Stephen knew what Matthew looked like, but not vice versa. And again, we're talking about who eats what? <laughs> Another conversation about vampire, vampire culinary Matthew, or, preferences. Yeah, Matthew's kind of schools Emily on what vampires could eat. <laughs> and this part I really love because uh, Sarah, you must hang out in bars because w- what with all the wine and nuts? <laughs> Correct me. <laughs> yeah, he has beer nuts, a side of beer nuts. <laughs> and I love oh, it. No. Emily's all concerned about Sarah embarrassing them in front of Marcus. And Sarah is just not worldly. She would be considered, I, I think, what in Europe they consider ugly Americans. That would be Sarah. Totally. Yeah. Oh, God. She is. <laughs> and, you know, she goes on and says, got any more wine, Casanova? And, you know, Casanova is known as a womanizer. But more importantly, he's Venetian. Of course, Italian. Matthew is quick to point that out because he is like the polar opposite of her. He's like worldly <laughs> and, and a little bit snooty. and. <laughs> Like, but I love how he takes it literally. I'm yeah. French, Sarah, not Italian. Not Italian. <laughs> and she's like, lighten up. I mean, she didn't say that, but that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're just juxtaposed as this pompous, worldly guy with Sarah, the ugly American. Right. 
No, Sarah, Sarah strikes me as a, she would have been a lady steel worker or something. I can see her working with a bunch of bunch of guys in the mill. Right. And then, you know, Matthew goes on to prove my point where he says, you know, Marcus, he's not Italian or French, but his education makes up for it. And it's like, OK, Matthew. Right. All right. I'm over yeah, you now. Right. Right. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that they find common ground by, you know, grabbing the page from the book and proceed to experiment or cast spells, depending yes. on how you look at it. And they go off to the yes. still room together. So that was, you know, for me, that was hilarious. I love that scene. Well, on the whole thing of like, oh, my God, you're going to let him see the cookbook. <gasps> oh, my you're God, in. you're in. Yeah. And then we go through a bit of Sarah's family tree and mm-hmm. we learn the bishops kept their last names out of defiance. Yeah. And the, the one thing I thought that was really interesting about that was that Sarah and Diana are descended from the illegitimate legitimate daughter who we never we never find out who her father right. is. We know her mother's Bridget Bishop, but who's her dad? Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. Mm. Maybe we'll find out in the future. So Bridget was a little bit of a player, you know. Well, <laughs> I, I, from Shelley, from, I mean, with Shelley's talk about, it has me thinking about all the whole genetics thing and whatnot, and how did how did this Weaver strain end up part of the bishops, and why is it Rebecca, what was her name? The first Davies, daughter. Uh, Rebecca Davies. Yeah. Then there was her daughter was Rebecca Playfer. I actually happen to have the book open next to me. I'm not this good. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, Bridget was the daughter of Rebecca, who was the daughter of Rebecca Davies. Then Bridget named her daughter Rebecca from her first marriage. Yeah. Yeah. She was a widow and she kept she went back to being a bishop. And that's where that came from. Yes. In Shadow of Night, wasn't there a little Rebecca in there? Yeah. And that was supposed to be because that was Bridget and Rebecca that Diana Diana met her great, 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 great. Great great grandmother and gives her the earring, which she puts in mm-hmm. the doll, right. which is what is their third item. Right. Mm-hmm. So now we're on the same page. Now that was the Rebecca that was yes, great 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 grandmother of Diana. So Marcus and Miriam arrive. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> and Marcus is as friendly as ever, and Miriam is as reserved as ever, and the house responds accordingly. And Diana goes on to chastise the house, and Marcus is amused. He's amused by all of it. Yeah. M establishes herself as the true hostess with the mostest. She's welcoming and Sarah's just "Ah, vampires. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, so here's what I found interesting about this chapter. Marcus knew one of the bishop ancestors. Right. Yes. He knew to bring the whiskey. She taught him how to set bones. Why is he never shared that with Diana? I mean, that would have been his secret to tell her. Did he spend a lot of time with Diana prior to this? Well, they were in the lab. He was trying to draw her blood. I mean, they're talking about lineages. Why wouldn't he have said, oh, I knew someone in your family? Right. Because Matthew was being cranky yeah, and kind of shot, well, shot the look at him to shut up. There is that. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's such a spoil sport. And that is the underlying factor in all of this. Matthew was being a crank. <laughs> I'm noticing. <laughs> well, he was being very withholding in a lot of ways and not just not just the ones we all titter about. He's was he's been very withholding as far as information and letting anybody else give her information, even if it's their information to give. And we see later on that he pretty much is, loses his shit because Miriam tells her story about her and Bertrand to Diana, and he's mad that she confided to Diana about that. It's and true. it's not, not just his story to tell. It's up to Miriam to tell the story, and he still gets mad. 
So Sarah goes straight into her blunt observations about them being obvious vampires and humans are just dumb not to notice. And, you know, and, you know, Sarah being Sarah. And then they decide to take a break from potion brewing and deal with the subject at ham. Um, they pass the picture around. Miriam announces her conclusion that it was Matthew and Diana in the picture and it was about them. We'll end this chapter that way. Miriam asks, what comes after conjunctio? And Diana answers, conceptio. And then the realization of what that means hits her. And then we fade to black. And now Shelly is going to help us into chapter 36 because <laughs> I got nothing. Well, no, you know what? We chapter got the science. Chapter 36 yeah. opens up perfectly. My head was between my knees amid the utter pandemonium. And that's exactly how I felt. <laughs> I so Shelly, please help me get my head between my knees. <laughs> yeah. All right. Where are we starting? All right. So. Uh, now, like New England Angela said, the cat's out of the bag. Marcus refers to Matthew's protective stance over Diana as shielding, and he explains vampires are protective. And then they go on about the conceptio, as in children, and they're wondering how this is possible. And then Chimera discussion versus VTS. Conceived, well, and this is my own personal note, conceived in Africa. Again, with the Africa. What's up with Africa? I, I don't get it. <laughs> I still don't. It's the origin of human life. Oh, this is true. Oh, mm-hmm. see there. I, and the other question, I, the question <laughs> that came up to me was, was were they, did it, had they gone back to the same place that they conceived, if she was conceived in when they went back and were killed? Was it the same part of Africa or was it a different part of Africa? Uh, Africa. I can't remember exactly where they were killed, but we could. Nigeria, I think. Nigeria. We, yeah. I would like Nigeria. Shirley to elaborate a little bit on that, what you just said about <laughs> Africa. Because yeah. that's interesting. Because I saw a, yeah. a, like, a little clip on the Today Show and the four co-hosts did a, a DNA test and they all originated from Africa. Whether you're whatever race you were, it started in Africa, yeah. which was interesting. Yeah. Okay. So because I'm an educator, I have to give a little bit of background before we jump into this. <laughs> Sorry, you guys will just have to bear with me. But, okay. for, but for a while, as we were moving into sort of modern genetics as we understand them now, there were two competing theories about where modern Homo sapiens originated. There was the out of Africa theory and then there was what's known as a multi-regional theory. And in the multi-regional theory, um, humans basically arose in a couple of different places around the globe, roughly at the same time span. So you would have Asia, you might have like Aboriginal tribes in Australia, you would have Africa. But we all at some point in time met back up and exchanged genetics so that we were similar enough to be the same species. The predominant data we have now indicates that in fact, modern Homo sapiens originated in Africa and then spread out globally from there. And that actually corresponds to one of the migration maps that was in my talk for and that's that's traced to mitochondrial lineages but even if we look at nuclear DNA it does support that humans originated in Africa I think it's sub-Sahara Africa but I wouldn't swear to that region right now but so modern humans are believed to have all come out of Africa so if you do a genetic test chances are no matter how waspy you think you are there are African sequences in there somewhere because that's where we all came from interesting very mm. interesting hmm. so so, and that's why you're saying that they were in Africa? Well, I'm saying if they knew they were going to be giving birth to, in essence, the mother that's going to regenerate creatures. It'd be fitting. It would be fitting to do it back in Africa because it, as we find out in the Book of Life, we're all interconnected. So why not go back to where it all started? Or maybe they were driven there or driven to conceive there. Huh. <laughs> How many times can your mind blow, Belle? 
<laughs> I have a little left. We can, you know. Well, I mean, that, that was my turn this time. I'm like, wow. <laughs> so, um, VTS, Vanishing Twin Syndrome. Now, uh, could you go into that a little bit more? Sure. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, Vanishing Twin Syndrome, normally what happens is you do have two separate fertilization events occur simultaneously. So, you have fraternal twins. You can actually only detect VTS in that case. You would not be able to detect VTS in the case of identical twins because their DNA matches. You can't tell the difference at a DNA level. So you have two spontaneous fertilizations. You have two fetuses growing in the womb. One of them spontaneously aborts. Um, Mm -hmm. And spontaneous abortions are usually for chromosomal abnormalities on a pretty big scale. They're early enough in development that the surviving fetus basically just subsumes that tissue. So you can have genetic sequence from the original, the other twin that's now gone. And depending on how early it happens, those sequences can be picked up in more cells of the adult surviving twin, or they'll be picked up in only a few cells. Um, For example, they don't see the male sequences for Diana's uh, aborted brother, except for in the hair samples. Right. Okay. And the chimera argument, that's, that's, part of, that's a result yes. of the VTS. Yes. Okay. All the chimera means is that you have sequences from two different genetic sources. That's all okay. that means. And the brother was actually supposed to be the time walker. I know the brother had witch fire. The brother was the one with yeah. witch fire. So instead of Diana just having all these powers on her own, is that is this an explanation of why she has so many powers? Is it because of the VTS? Yes, okay. it could be. So no, you're right. Time walking, shape-shifting, divination. Right. And divination was one from uh, Rebecca, which is interesting, mm-hmm. rather than Stephen. Yeah. Oh, and and the fire marker was only in the hair. So yeah, he was the witch fire. Uh-huh. Which is interesting because if she's Diana named after the hunt, she's supposed to be the archer. Okay, only the fire marker in the hair, no other traces of elemental magic. That's odd because, well, then the brother was supposed to be the weaver. No, not necessarily. No? Because if there's no other elemental magic, then the witch water was naturally Diana's. Which if we really want to go meta, hold on to your seats, uh, life originated in the water. So it would make sense that someone who is able to bring forth fourth life in an abnormal sense would have connection to a water element. Ooh. Nice. Yeah, but Stephen was water, wasn't he? Yes. But she was Yes. And she was Leo, which is uh, Leo's a is that a fire, fire. sign? Fire. That's a fire sign. Yeah. Okay. And it gets more meta. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I have a question for Shelley. Okay. Uh, so, okay. Okay, so this might not have anything to do with your specialty, but I'd like to hear your theory. Matthew's <laughs> Matthew's instincts told him to protect her as early as the first encounter with Peter Knox, right? Yep. Is that something that happens normally, biologically, when we're looking Uh, to produce children? Yes, to some degree. So even in humans, we see this. uh, People are, especially women, when they're on their fertility cycle, when they're most fertile, will be uh, naturally attracted to men who are more likely to be able to impregnate them. At the end of the day, biology is nothing about spreading, nothing more than spreading genes. Nothing else matters. So biology does what it needs to do to capitalize on the success of that. So yeah, something in Matthew detected, you know, a chemical signature from Diana. You know, there's still a lot of debate about whether or not humans give off pheromones. Maybe witches would, if they did, certainly vampires would be able to detect them. He probably did detect something about her that indicated she could bear his children. Ah, that kind of ties in with Ashmole 782 not being about just origins, evolution, and extinction. 
extinction, but about reproduction. So Miriam was, you know, she had something there. Yep. Well, evolution and extinction are nothing more than reproductive success. That's true. <laughs> All right. So here's where we let you guys with first editions know your version will say AB negative, but that has been corrected to say AB positive in the next printing. Um, I know my audiobook still reads to me AB negative, and I'm like, you're wrong, Jennifer Aketa. <laughs> well, she wrote off the first, she recorded off the first edition, so of course it's wrong. Yeah, of course it's wrong, but I like saying it. You're wrong. Anyway. <laughs> So that was my PSA, everybody. So if your version says AB negative and we're sitting here talking about AB positive, that is why. So from my limited understanding, AB positive is universal plasma donor. And no. No? Recipient. Recipient. Recipient and universal red blood cell recipient as well, right? Yes. Okay. And tell me about the spade foot toad. What? <laughs> uh, wait, what are we looking at? Spade foot toad. Where are we? <laughs> so amphibians are weird. Uh, you know, I'll hearken to uh, Jurassic Park. Um, okay. And the very first one, it, it does discuss how um, in certain circumstances, one of the amphibians will change sex to ensure mating. That does happen in amphibians and some fish actually do weird stuff like that too. So again, biology is all about passing on the genes. If something happens so that a population is not able to reproduce on its own, biology will have set up some mechanism to make sure that can happen or the species is going to go extinct. So yes, you do have spadefoot toads and other amphibians doing weird reproductive stuff. Okay. Marcus was comparing Diana and Matthew's need to mate to the spadefoot toad and that's where I needed to know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so yeah. for real, we're like Sarah. So wait a minute, is Diana the lion, the toad, or the queen in this picture? (laughs) It wasn't anything kinky. It was just... Uh, Have a seat. Belt and suspenders. Have a seat, Sarah. Have some wine and nuts, man. Right. (laughs) We'll get back back to you. I know you touched on this in your talk, but clans, now they go on to clans, and this is where I get lost. Okay. So they go on to talk about M.T. Lilith. Yes. What do you want to know? (laughs) (laughs) Whatever whatever you can tell me. Okay, so first off, remind me, and I will send you a copy of the PowerPoint from the talk. So if you want to put it in the show notes, you are welcome to. Yay! Uh, And and all the images that I used in there, there are references in the speaker's notes section. So I don't want anyone to think I used someone else's work without permission. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So mitochondrial DNA is great for sussing out kind of bigger relationships. So, for example, it would be difficult to distinguish sisters or mothers and daughters using just mitochondrial DNA because they're going to overlap. Right. But you would be able to distinguish a family family lineage using mtDNA. And that's what gets us to the idea of clans, which are basically like big super families. DNA in general um, doesn't mutate extremely rapidly, but different portions of it do mutate more rapidly. And those portions that mutate more rapidly tend to not have a really specific defined function or they're not essential. So a gene that does something like helps your red blood cells carry oxygen, for example, it it needs to work really well. Otherwise, you're not going to survive. So that particular gene undergoes a lot of extra proofreading and oversight when it's copied when a cell's going to divide, and especially early in development when a fetus is developing into a big human or a big whatever, if it's not a a person. Um, (laughs) 
Um, but regions that don't have an essential function, maybe they're regulatory, maybe right now they just don't do anything, there's not as much pressure for them to stay the same. And so biology, in addition to being all about passing on the genes, is all about being efficient. So why waste energy and time and resources maintaining the fidelity of that particular sequence? And so those sequences are, they're still copied accurately, but they tend to mutate a little more just because there are errors in that process. You can think of it similar to, for those of you who are old enough, back in the old days of the fax machines, if you ever faxed a copy of something and then you faxed that fax, if you had any little scratch on your glass or you got a little mark anywhere, that mark is going to be perpetuated every time you send that new fax. And there's also going to be the possibility that that mark is going to get bigger. It's going to degrade more and it might begin to mess up the message if it gets big enough. So that's kind of how DNA mutations work in non-coding regions, those non-essential readings. They'll just be passed along and passed along. And sometimes they can get big enough that they start to have a negative impact, in which case then something will be done or the cell will die or the lineage will die. So when we talk about mitochondrial DNA and the clans, that's based off those non-coding regions. And so areas that are allowed to mutate somewhat, and you can plot out relationships based off the number of different mutations between two sequences. Making a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Yes. Basically. Basically. And so if there was one error early on in that copying sequence, that one is going to be perpetuated. And then if you get a second error, you know, 500 generations later, you're going to have both errors being perpetuated forward. And that is, that's how you can do the trees, the family trees, based off the number of differences between the sequences. Only one difference between them, they're more closely related. More differences between them, they're more distinct. That helps. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Yes. I try. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I also have a note here. Marcus wondered something out loud, which seemed the most significant to me as I was on my first read, sussing through all of this information. And I was like, I don't know what any of this is, but I do know what this is. Marcus wondered something out loud, which seemed to be significant. How many creatures have been in the same position? of you and Matthew over the years. And that light bulb, it had to have been more than one. It couldn't just be them. There, what do you guys yeah. think? Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. I wanted it to be them, though. I wanted it to be only them. I wanted them to be the special chosen one, but obviously, <laughs> from a science yeah. standpoint, that's not logical. Right. We wanted the magic. Yeah. Well, but again, it's all about biology. Right. So based off that, it's quite likely that there were similar relationships or possibly similar relationships of people or creatures detecting that they are reproductively compatible. I'm all about the I know, I was going to say, I'm all about the romance. (laughs) Reproductively compatible. Well, and that just... Sounds like something Sheldon would say. Yeah. (laughs) And that just is me as a reader. Like, I just glossed over that because I I wanted it to be magic. I I had my own bias on it, so I wanted it to be magical. I wanted it to be, dare I say, romantic. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just thought, that question did not stand out to me, but I love that you brought that up now and that Shelley can uh, explain it. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, the romance part of it is that they actually follow through if you they think actually about found it. each other yeah. yeah yeah well or they were placed together i guess you know philippe and steven doing some like multi-century matchmaking <laughs> yes. yentas. talk about yentas after that they proceed on to the scuffle over the damn tea it was <laughs> damn tea, back to, the tea. One back to the tea matthew's like what 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 this tea oh my god and he oh wow surprisingly gets up in a huff 
<laughs> grabs yeah. his mm-hmm. phone and leaves the room and Diana's like Sarah! Miriam's all smug and she's like it wasn't her job to tell Matthew it was yours you know <laughs> and then that whole thing started so um, this is where I started paying attention again and then <laughs> Miriam brings Mir- Miriam brings up war oh Jesus Miriam brings game to this whole chapter I tell you yeah, <laughs> yeah. she's like she look if no one's gonna fire. talk about it I will yeah <laughs> she brings up war Screw the elephant in the room. She's upset for years of bitterness because of her the role her husband had to play in order to protect Matthew from Eleanor's death. Yeah, I, I think we're all under the agreement that, you know, Bertrand had to take Matthew's place and... That's why he get, took on the name yeah, Bertrand. and got beheaded. You know, I'd be bitter about yeah. that, too. And this is... This whole sequence brings... Okay, Matthew storms off in a huff, and then she ends up out in the hallway and, and runs into the crown. This is... I've always kind of like, oh, you know, the house whatever. Everybody loves a house, and I think the house is kind of Disney-ish. But then I start thinking about it in this particular passage. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, not only do, do we have the bishop house as being a, as, a, as a sentient being, is the house the goddess's mouthpiece in a way? A tool? A tool of the goddess as well, because if you think about it, the house is built at the crossroads in the middle of yeah. sacred ground to the Oneidas. Yeah. And the things that it does within the context of when Diana's there, especially when she's there with Matthew, the house is very protective and manipulative with respect to the two of them. This like is true. Locking everybody mm-hmm. else out of their fight so they can resolve their differences without all the meddling. And it is a lot of di- divine what, intervention. <laughs> what, what comes to mind here? Well, and there also are an awful lot of ghosts here. Yeah. So, I mean, being at the crossroads or being a portal to the divine, it, maybe it would be easier for them to come in and mm-hmm. out there. True. True. Very true. And then, you know, bring it up that we're around the period of Halloween where the veil is thin anyway. The veil is thin. <laughs> And, and, you know, ghosts are supposedly able to enter our world more easily. So I, I could imagine it's all tied together. I don't know how deeply she thought about this when she wrote this, but yeah, it could we could make connections all day long. So I also think she may, Deb may have been trying to lead us to the idea of Diana having the higher magics here. Um, because if you think about it, Sarah and M know there are ghosts, but they don't really seem to see them or talk to them. Diana's the only one who actually has conversations with the ghost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, and that also brings up a point that comes out later on and after the run-in with Juliet, it's like, why is M the only one that can see the maiden and the crone? Yeah, and M did dabble in the higher magics. Yeah. yeah. With yeah. I think that's our first. I think that's our first hint that she was doing that. Hmm. And then Jillian's brought up, you know, Jillian's dad. And M got unseasonably upset right here. I mean, well, that's because she had a thing with Jillian's mom. That's right. Her ex lover's <laughs> daughter is dead. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Miriam was doing some expert shit stirring in this in this uh, chapter. <laughs> so it kind of makes you wonder what Miriam was hiding. Yeah, that tends to be when people right stir the shit, divert. Yeah, yeah. Diversions. I yeah, I know something you don't know. So <laughs> let's play with it right now. That's fun. <laughs> Sarah's had enough at this point. She's pr- basically everybody get the fuck out, yeah. and the house is not allowing that. <laughs> so yeah, that yeah, was good. And uh, this is kind of uh, is this the first time we see Diana time walk? We didn't know it was time walking at the time. She just kind of showed up I there. think so, yeah, it yeah. was. And then she walks in on Matthew chewing Isabeau out over the phone, and Diana's like, it's okay. And for me, it seemed, on first read, it seemed like, what do you mean this is okay? This is not okay. What's going on? 
Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, then they go on to have the talk about children. Do you mm-hmm. want to have my children? And I'm like, wow, well, I don't know. It, I think she. this part of the book was just kind of uh, for me. And I'm like, uh, wow, we're going to have the children talk. And then. I don't know. What were you saying, Jean? I was going to say, well, two things. Uh, I think she was like, yeah, it's okay, whatever, because she hadn't made up her mind yet whether she wanted children until they sat down and had that talk at that moment. So I think for her, it's like, okay, the tea's water under the bridge, whatever. Yeah, it was manipulative, but we got bigger fish to fry here. Good point. Good point. At the time, I was stuck on the, what? It's not okay. What? They were feeding me this tea, but, you know, that was me being in- Yeah, but I, was, I had the same, <laughs> same reaction, too. It's like, wait a minute, somebody's making my reproductive choices for me? No, this is not cool. Yeah. Well, yes and no. So I'm going to be devil's advocate for Mart right now. Okay. Um, so they would have known that Matthew and Diana were not actually mated in the vampire sense because their sense, because their sense, their smells were not commingled enough yet. Like all the other vampires knew that when they time walked in Shadow of Night, that they, yeah. Philippe knew right away that they were not actually mated in the vampire sense. Right. Right. So, okay. So, you know, maybe it's... Yeah, there's that. The doors are closed. Mart's just putting a lock on it. You know. Just true. Just making sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Belt and suspenders. <laughs> Oh, wow. I, I Okay. Let, let me not even talk about that. <laughs> I was thinking chastity belt, but we'll uh, just yeah, leave it there. Say. Yeah, we, were all, we yeah. all went to chastity belt with a lock. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, chafing. I can't even think about it. All that chafing. See, there, there we went. <laughs> <laughs> there was a line. Leave it to Jean. Let's jump over it. <laughs> <laughs> it's my job. <laughs> So they head back to the house and Diana goes back to being the hostess with the mostess. She fixes tea, coffee, and booze. They re-enter the dining room and apparently the liquids fix everything because people have calmed down. Marcus brings up that three witches and three vampires share a secret. Then they all go to bed. And then (laughs) they end this with his curved hand fit over my belly, already protecting children yet to be born. And that brings us into chapter 37. We made it through chapter 36. Yay! Yay. All right. With the science, and there was no five minutes of silence. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! In the opening of 37, with them wheeling in the, the blood bank for lack of a better description, oh, makes yeah. me wonder, is Matthew the only one who dines exclusively on animals at this point of the game? Because I'm really wondering just exactly what Miriam's dining preferences are. Oh, there is no way Miriam's a vegetarian. <laughs> no. 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 Yeah. <laughs> or, no. Or, or swigging any true blood or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I don't think Matthew was a vegetarian either. He just denied himself constantly. Because... Right. Which is how he got so puny. Yeah. Puny. Yeah. Well, according to Philippe. I mean, that's not my yeah. words, but that's such a great word. I love that word. Puny. <laughs> Puny. So it is interesting. I just noticed this flipping my page. That, I mean, it's probably Sarah just randomly picked up this particular bag, but O negative. So I wonder if vampires have a preference for blood type. Like, does it, huh. taste, is, does it taste different? It, maybe. Perhaps. I mean, if ad- adrenaline makes it sweet or maybe, the, yeah, the different types could. Interesting. Could be like your brand of don't, don't ask Matthew. What, do, what would I taste like? He'll get mad. 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, and Marcus knew right away what her blood type was in the lab. So obviously they can detect those chemical signatures. They mm-hmm. smell it or detect it some way, but I, I'm imagining it's smelling. Like wine. Yeah. It's like wine. You can, you can smell the difference between us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also deliver to some birth control not involving herbs or tea. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but, kill, but 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 the nice yellow flower case. Remember those? You design that bullshit. Oh God! <laughs> so granted, you know, 2009, we've come a little ways with our reproductive technology since then. But why why pills? I mean, there were other options in 2009. If Matthew is that paranoid about reproductive blockages, why would he go with pills? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that would just make. What would you suggest? Well, I mean, there would be more reliable, you know, there were IUDs available in 2009. Mm -hmm. Sure. Or implants, I think, still. They were doing the the under the arm implants, but maybe that's just me being nitpicky. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, since he had no problem with. Delivering all of her vaccines later on down the line. Yeah. Right? yeah. At the, when they made the decision to time walk, it's like, I can't see an implant being all that much more complicated than a smallpox vaccine. All right. Now, granted, in planning an IUD, that would involve getting other people involved. So maybe, maybe Deb just didn't want to go through yeah. that whole extra. And pills kind of leave a margin of error for the sake of the story. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. I mean, but how effective would they be against a vampire and a witch? Right. The, I mean, that comes up later. <laughs> like, thing. yeah. Really, all things yeah. considered, how do we know modern medicine's going to? do anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I, I was going to say, and I, I really could have done without the whole menstruating Combo. conversation <laughs> between between the two of them, because all it kept reminding me of was uh, the Anne Rice book about the violinist and the veil of Veronica. If any of our listeners are Anne Rice fans, they'll know what I'm talking about. And it was fairly disgusting. <laughs> well, Shelly, now that you bring up the accuracy of the pill, my first child is a pill baby. So, yes, I get it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're pregnant? What? No! Oops. See? It's a miracle. It's magic. Ooh, it's magic. Yeah. It's science. <laughs> All right. So we go on and the vampires took turns in flanking Diana as far as protecting her. Well, she noticed it. Nightly Scrabble and Film Noir. I thought that marathons. was cute. I thought that yeah, was cute. I like that. They, they yeah. kind of grew to have a camaraderie over Scrabble and, and Popcorn. Yeah, but so understanding Miriam's personality a lot. Oh, seriously, why is she having the conversation with Emma about how to kill a vampire? Like, oh, as like, part of her vampire classes? Yeah, I mean, the, it's all clans, relationships, you know, what they can and cannot eat, all of that I can see, but then discussing how to actually kill, like of all the people to talk about that with, M? Yeah. Right, yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, maybe she, she needed it the most, but... <laughs> well, Emily obviously was not paying attention, apparently. <laughs> well, I was going to say, maybe, maybe that was Miriam's idea of funny. That's what I'm saying. I, I think Miriam's stirring the pot a little much right there. And... <laughs> Somebody's got to. Yeah. I can relate. I just saw it, you know, at the time I saw it as foreshadowing after we had gotten through the next chapter as foreshadowing. Yeah, that's exactly how Juliet did it. Yeah, yeah maybe yeah. it was just a way of, it was a way of communicating for Deb to communicate information. Yeah. Maybe she Possibly. should have told Sarah. The conversation should have been with Sarah, though. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Be a little more, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then we went on to potion brewing and blowing shit up with mm-hmm. Marcus, Sarah, and Matthew. I thought that was hilarious. I did, too. That's, yep. what, that's one of my favorite quotes about the Macbeth. Uh, <laughs> Matthew joins Sarah <laughs> yes. and Marcus in the most unholy trio of potion brewers since Shakespeare put three witches around a cauldron. Yeah. Right. 
<laughs> it was a it was a cool picture in my head. Yeah, about the three of them just. I just picture around. Marcus with like sit on his face and <laughs> <laughs> his hair all standing on end. You and, know? <laughs> and Matthew is perfect as ever, and Sarah just ha- her hands on her hips, like <laughs> Emily walking in on that scene, saying, "Okay, I'll cleave something. Right. You guys don't yeah. stop. Get this cleaned up." Mm. And when we got a little bit of Knights of Lazarus 101, we learn about what a seneschal is, a marshal mm-hmm. is. Yes. We, we first hear of Fernando. Mm-hmm. Oh, little did Ooh, we two, know. <laughs> two weird things happen here again with Miriam. Damn, Miriam. I mean, I never noticed just how much how much she does with so few lines. Yeah. When she questioned Matthew about why did you appoint him a marshal and not Baldwin? I mean, her automatic thought was, well, Baldwin should be marshal. That's interesting. I mean, we don't, don't ever see Miriam and Baldwin together, but I just one comment makes me wonder what their relationship is. Mm-hmm. The marshal is the chief of military operation, or is it the seneschal? The seneschal is second, right? And marshal's a second chief. Second in command, yeah. right? And the marshal's the chief military officer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but just the fact that she's like, well, that should be Baldwin. Yeah. Tells me she knows who Baldwin, you know, she is, has some sort of relationship with Baldwin, but. Right. Now I'm, now I'm wondering what that well, is. Well, I wonder what it is, too, but she was around for the Eleanor thing. Miriam was, and so was Baldwin, and so was Bertrand and Matthew. So true. And then the, the the other thing about when Fernando comes up, she doesn't know. She assumes he's she makes it, surely he's still alive and well. Right. I mean, that's a really weird thing to say. That is weird. She doesn't know whether he's alive or dead. Hmm. Do you think she didn't know? I mean, it's like Galaglass was con- was still in contact with Jason. We find that out later. Like he was on Galaglass's speed dial. Right. So which Jason being Bertrand's son, Miriam then would have known if she wanted to know roughly where Galaglass was. I can't imagine Fernando didn't knowing- keep in touch with someone. Someone, you know. I mean, he's got the whole yeah, library of books <laughs> under his care. Yeah, true. Yeah, and the crazy people running it. Yeah. Right. It just seems odd that she's like, yeah, I don't know. And then and then Matthew goes on to liking her, likening her to more trouble than Domenico and Louisa. <laughs> Anyone except Domenico and Louisa, it's like... Well, he's not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> no. He's not wrong. It just makes me wonder what other trouble she's created that we haven't heard about yet. <laughs> I just feel like it's her getting her little blows at Matthew here and there where she can. You know, just little jabs. It's like, okay, you know, I haven't forgotten what happened. So I'm with you, but you're going to feel it for me for the next eternity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and you also have to wonder what her connection to the family was. Like, perhaps it was before Bertrand. Why would she have stayed with the family after they were responsible for her husband's death? Her mate's death. I think we learned in the Book of Life that Philippe had assigned her to Matthew. Pretty sure. Well, no, 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 because Bertrand... Bertrand, before he died, said, take care of him. It was her dying husband's oh, okay. wish for her to keep watch over his best friend. I don't think Philippe would have had as much sway over her as Bertrand did. But he did kind of, assume, because when Galloglass was uh, telling his story, how he was assigned to Diana, he, he did mention Miriam had an assignment with Matthew. Not sure the details of it, but it was kind of a loose thing thrown out there. And I don't really remember, but I remember writing that down somewhere. So, yeah, And then there's also that weird tie-in we found where Miriam was part of the caliphate's entourage when Hugh and Fernando were living in Cordova. With, and they had Matthew with them with uh, Abulcaisis, the physician, trying to suss out the blood rage stuff. Also in the Book in, of Life. Like the 8th century or something. But she, she's she been around for a long time. But that little particular part was why I'm like, how do you, how did you not stay in touch with Fernando? Right. Hmm. <laughs> so Diana gets her witch lessons from Sarah. Diana gets frustrated and disappears. Another, well. yeah, and we learn Yes, she's just time walking. She did it since she was two. And they all start following her around so she doesn't do it again. (laughs) 
<laughs> I thought that was funny. Now they took evening walks and this is where Matthew and Diana did their version of training when Diana's had enough of Sarah's version of training. And this evening walk in particular went all kinds of sideways because as we all know, Juliet shows up. I know, but before this, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling relaxed. I'm ready to go on the walk. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all were. We yeah. were just like, this is nice. Oh, let's, right. let's play. Maybe some more, maybe some more third base. Yeah. <laughs> Fun stuff. Everybody's expecting a little right. slap and tickle. Right. Slap and tickle. <laughs> so, of course. Yeah, there was a lot of slapping and no tickling coming up. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm never going to get through this. <laughs> Wait, I do think we have to put in the show notes after we talk about Juliet that drawing on Instagram that we, that oh, we found. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, I love that cartoon. Oh, ba- my God. Babe, I- I'm mad. Babe, I'm dying. <laughs> babe, I'm dying. I don't, know if you, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Shelly. We've shared it on our social media, but this little drawing, I don't know who did it, but, you know, stick we'll figures. go back. It's it was a stick brilliant. figure. <laughs> nice. It was well, inspirational to me because I did some with Witchwater and, yeah. and Isabel. <laughs> we could put those in the show notes, too. So, Juliet. Anyway, back to, yes. to the subject at hand. Juliet. Impressions of Juliet, you guys. She's oh. a broken doll. Yeah. She was, at first, she, yeah. Besides, besides finding that, it was bone chilling for her to show up and just be, like, robotic and creepy and want to kiss Diana. And, I mean, it was just, I was afraid. Yeah. The elevator does not go to yeah. the top floor. <laughs> exactly. No. Right. No. And where she's no. like, you know, kiss her, Matthew, or I'll cut her. I'll make her bleed. I'm like, oh, geez, this woman. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, needless to say, that was and she deals him a death blow eventually because Diana's not or not leaving mm-hmm. Matthew's side and Matthew's not paying attention to his problem. And this is more to that chess reference. It's like, you know, you're always protecting your queen. You need mm-hmm. to keep your eye on the ball. Let your queen take care of herself. And Isabel was proven correct in this instance because Matthew's busy paying attention to Diana and Juliet's dealing him a death blow. And now he's on the ground bleeding. And yeah. mayhem. So this and then Diana hesitates. Yeah, Comp- regardless, things go from bad to worse. Yeah, bad all around. Regardless that I knew that there was another book coming up, I was afraid for Matthew. I'm like, it, it, this this really did affect me. I thought I was worried for Matthew, and I thought he was. I don't. I not know how it was going to be resolved, especially when she's like, "Oh, you're expecting Marcus? Well, he's not going to be coming either." Like, oh no, ha ha. Yeah, what happened? Whoa. Which Marcus? Why would he not have just gotten off the phone? I never figured that one out. <laughs> I mean, just hang up right. or run with the phone in your hand. <laughs> I know it was mobile at that time, you know. It's not like it was attached to a cord. So, yeah. <laughs> he could have ran up, but yeah, everybody hesitated, everybody acted all wrong. They weren't truly prepared for this war that what Miriam was talking about, and this just demonstrated that. We saw that Matthew is not invincible as we previously all kind of understood. We knew that you could kill a vampire, but apparently it's easier when the vampire's not paying attention and 
<laughs> we learn that Diana is not this little weakling that needs to be protected because she brought some fire with her. Oh, yeah. yeah. And a little shape-shifting. Yep. So what did you guys think of the deal with the goddess? I would have made that deal if I were Diana. Oh, in yeah. a second. Oh, yeah. yeah. In a second. No questions asked. Yeah. Well, but, you know, in a way, I, was there a deal to be made? Really and truly? No. I mean, in Diana's mind, she made a deal, but I don't... You think the goddess already knew that she was hers? I think she was consecrated to the goddess at birth. Maybe she just, yeah, maybe she just needed Diana to do it willingly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Except, except her, her charge in a way. Yeah. But Diana didn't even realize that's what she was doing when she made that quote unquote deal. Because she figured it's, it was just going to be a transactional exchange. I'll, you can take anything, blah, 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 give me him. Right. Mm. Well. She didn't know. She had wasn't no idea. Quite so tra- wasn't quite so transactional, was it? No. <laughs> so in chapter 38, we get a sense of the reality that they're dealing with. They're essentially set up an ICU for, well, okay. So let, let's get to the real thing. She, Diana gives up her blood. Matthew has, mm-hmm. Matthew, you know, bites her in the neck, takes her blood in order for him to survive and heal. And uh, the whole family is witnessing this. And, and there was a... They're horrified. They're horrified. Diana has brought up the fire around them to protect this transaction. And nobody could interfere, no no matter what they tried to do. So we get Matthew stable and then we lose Diana. <laughs> yeah. well, right. and, and don't forget, dur- as this is all going on, she's probably unknowingly weaving her first spell as she's trying to reach Matthew with a message through his blood. I'm inside you giving you life. Yes. I have a theory about that. <laughs> yeah. I have the same thing, I think, if we're talking about the scene in Shadow of Night. Well, I'm inside you giving you life. What if she really was weaving a spell and part of that spell was giving Matthew back his mortal life? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Which ties into my thought last week about the Christmas gift of the gray hair. What if it's more than just appearances? Right. As we were rereading this chapter. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. What if she somehow is weaving a spell that gives him back his mortality? Yeah. You know, we assume giving life is like keeping him from dying, but... Giving him actual mortal life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Giving him mortal life. And this came about when we were all discussing why Diana wasn't immortal where we thought the book would do it, you know, where yeah. she, she took in the book and she became immortal. But Deb has come back and said, no, she is not immortal. So we all were kind of like, and then Jean brings this up. She's like, well, what if Matthew is now mortal? And we're Which like, has always been my thing. That's his big wish. He wants his mortality back. Okay, so I have a question, not having been uh, as part of the discussion community quite so long. Has she explicitly said Diana is not immortal, period? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay, has. so she, yes. it's not always she just been recently caveated because of the book of life or because she's a weaver, but she has said not immortal, period. Yes. Stop. Okay. Yeah, she, I mean, in prior answers to the question, she was being cagey about it. She said, right. "Well, weaver, weavers are mortal. Weavers have a normal lifespan." It's like, right. but but then you know, we always were looking at she's going to use the book of life as the back door. Right. Well, I in, in most more recently, I think she pretty much shut it down with that whole she's mortal. Period. Dot. End of story. Yes. And that was in the last few weeks. Yes. Okay. Right. Yeah, Fair enough. I think she got sick of answering the damn question. Well, right. <laughs> which the question is yeah. still being asked exactly as it has yeah. been before because she's a weaver. Yeah. Is she immortal? But yeah. Okay. And even at the 
done. She said, their story is done. The Ashmole 782, the book, Diana Matthew, that part has been concluded. So I don't think we're going to get any, any more answers right. yeah. um, on that front. Yeah. Until Jean throws in, but what if Matthew is mortal? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and we'll see, we'll just see that as probably as part, as a story with the twins and the rest of the family unfolds. We'll find out. Yeah. yeah. yeah more as, a, as an aside that, well, that's what happened. Yeah. That blew my mind when you, when you put that in the, uh, our Facebook Box. group. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, what's <laughs> happening here? My mind was blown like 15 times this week. So join our Facebook group, everybody. Close reads are a trouble for me. Yeah. Prompt me to be channel my inner Miriam and cause trouble. I yeah. Say. <laughs> All right. So on to chapter 38. And uh, we do get a sense of reality that they're dealing with. They're essentially set up an ICU for Diana after Matthew nearly drained her dry. Miriam tends to her. We observe the passing conversations. Matthew and Diana have the Juliet conversation. What did you guys think of that when we find out that Matthew was in love with Juliet? Juliet wasn't just making that up. I felt the same way about Blanca. I felt a little jealous. I felt a little, wow, yeah. he had feelings for someone else. Kind of, my feelings are hurt. <laughs> well, and the other thing is, too, is it's like, it, it was kind of startling to me, too, because when Juliet was on her crazy patter before they killed her, she made the comment about, oh, remember when we were in Rome and how frightened that poor yes. girl we stalked was? I mean, she was really creepy and he was like along for the creepy ride, yes, which exactly. sort of troubled me. Yeah. yeah. And then for him to say, oh, well, I was in love with her, it's like, hmm, this is reminding me of somebody else we all know that a lot of people seem to hate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a little bit of obsessive love there. Yeah. When it, I mean, it's like when Matthew falls for somebody, he goes too far. I mean, you've got Cecilia who ends up walking into a fire to get the hell away from him, which, you know, kind of <laughs> tells me he was pushing a little hard on that front. I think it was more than just she didn't want to be a vampire. Yeah. Deb did say that he not all the vampires he's turned, it was for altruistic reasons like Marcus. She said he has impulse yeah. control. Um, Issues. <laughs> but I, th- I do think that there is a mean-spirited side or even a malicious side to him as with the way he used to treat Blanca. You know, used to, he, yeah. he liked to pick on her. And I think with... She was a prize. Yeah. She was a prize. All the boys wanted her and he was going to get her. And then he yeah. wasn't so nice to her. He had her and now he, you know, kind of picked on her. And then, the, like you said, the woman that they stalked in Rome. And for him to be in love with someone like Juliet, who I don't think was, was very malicious, um, shows you a different side of Matthew. Yeah. And then the whole business back with Venice and Domenico and mm-hmm. Lisa. Yeah. But then Isabeau also makes reference to this. And this is something that came up in the Facebook discussion. Matthew likes fragile things. And maybe he is not meant to be an emotional, I mean, a physical fragility, mm-hmm. but an emotional. Yes. And I don't know that he nece- necessarily feels protective about some of it, too. I mean, like you said, yeah, he likes emotionally fragile, but he also seems a little bit like a cat that likes to play with his prey. Yep. I see it. Yeah. Not it's a, so perfect, Matthew. It's a dominance thing. Yes. If, if, or, you know, a, a dependency. If I'm the bigger, stronger, and I go for this fragile soul or this broken mind, they will be dependent on me. And I will have the upper hand. Which, yeah, it ties into his self-loathing, too, though. But yeah. if he, yeah. you know. He's admitted as much when he was telling uh, Diana, and we're jumping again in Shadow of Night, when he's t- confessing his sins to Diana, he was saying, yeah, you know, Bianca was subservient. She would kowtow to whatever, whatever I wanted. I wanted. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, I would bully her into whatever I want. You know, that's why he was not used to someone 
someone like Diana to pretty much push back at him all the time. He was not used to it. So Shelly, you, you said it ties into his self-loathing. How so? Because if he if he truly loathes himself the way he discusses in regards to the mistakes he's made and the blood rage controlling him, and he probably then thinks he's not worthy of love, well, the only people that are going to love him are people who themselves are flawed. Mm-hmm. Like someone mm-hmm. who is strong and, and whole of mind would not be able to love him. Which is why he's always pushing away Diana, because it's kind of like, wait a minute, you're not a hot mess. What he, <laughs> right. You shouldn't be here. Right. But she is kind of a hot mess. But yeah. Not the, kind he's used, not the kind he's able to manipulate. Yes. Oh, the other interesting thing that came up in that whole conversation was the fact that Isabeau and Baldwin both agreed about Juliet being bad news. Yeah. And that he made the point that, well, both Baldwin and Isabeau were like, no, which goes back to our whole Myers-Briggs <laughs> thing. I feel like, you know, even Marcus couldn't stand her just from, from the get-go. And this is before he knew that she was often his kin, you know? So, you know, I mean, outsiders would know, but when you're caught up in a romance like that, you're too close to it. You can't see it. You can't observe it. So mostly, I think mostly everybody knew Juliet was cracked in the head. Yeah. Well, in in the, as we're sitting here, this also brings to mind, it's like, what was going on with Eleanor? I mean, even Hugh was telling her, telling Matthew, you need to like put her aside. And I think it was more, probably for more than just strategic reasons, too. I always assumed I mean, it was just political because it was getting the, in the way of the Declaremont. Yes, I know. Goal. But, but in, the, in the conversation that we're having right now, she's right now she's an outlier. And I'm almost suspecting maybe she's not so much of an outlier. We just don't know what her fragility yeah, we, was. Yeah. And we or we don't know if she was being used as a since they were out, her family and the Declaremonts were on opposite sides of the political spectrum. How how was she being manipulated by her own family? And mm-hmm. what else was she being used as a honeypot? It to get be, close. I mean, that's yeah. totally yeah. that's totally typical of that time. You know, your life wasn't your own. It was how could you serve your family the yes, best? Right. Exactly. So this is where the ambergris and ladies man will come up it mm-hmm. does. for Stephen. Yeah. I found out some very interesting things about both of them. They're both associated with magic. And divination, isn't they it? They both have magical properties. Mm-hmm. Um, not only divination, but the interesting thing about Ladies Mantle is it's associated with the Blessed Mother, which is why it's called Ladies Mantle in some groups and uh, Camilla and other groups. It, it mm-hmm. has two different names. But the really interesting thing was that Ambergris is also a sexual compellent. The musk. It's it. Hmm. I, I really think that that wasn't so much Diana, but the goddess trying to get Matthew to overcome his free will and get him to drink from her. He was battling and battling and battling it. And I right. think the scent of right. the, the, the use of the ambergris was to just get him to give into his instincts and his urges. Well, at and that like point you, in time. Like you, it just says, you used magic to save me. And now that you bring up the good point, whose magic was it? Yeah, I, I kind of think it was the goddess's magic, especially when it was linked with Lady's Mantle. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was the goddess's magic all along, just like yeah. you guys do, because, I mean, she was drawing energy from that tree, and that wasn't her doing. That was no. the goddess. So, no. And it was the oak tree, which is also associated with divination. Right. Um, Emily sits down to talk with her, and she's pretty much explaining Sarah's position, which was all valid. Sarah had never seen any of this before, so she's freaked out, you know, apparently mm-hmm. really wigged out about this. So she's kind of just staying away from the situation, and Emily's explaining the Diana we all knew, which I'll caveat, the Diana they thought they knew is gone. So that was a thing with Diana to understand Mm -hmm. that and to understand why Sarah kind of took off. And I believe she talked to Isabel on the phone, too. Yeah, 
Yeah, she she needed a maternal ear, and Isabel was the first person she saw, she thought of. Here's where that damn goddess story mm. came up. <laughs> Justice <laughs> and humor. Don't get me started. Don't get me started. And for the audience, this is a, a bone of contention with us. We were really for years because we were when we were waiting on the Book of Life, we were expecting Isabeau to relay her goddess story where the goddess had a sense of humor. As well as a sense of justice. Mm-hmm. A sense of justice. We never got that story. I'm, Or maybe I missed it. I don't think we got no, that story. We never got that okay, story. I'm, just, I'm just confirming that. Thank you. <laughs> we yeah. never got it. The, the quote is, so the goddess saved my son, she murmured. She has a sense of justice as well as humor. But that is too long her tale for today. When you're next at Satur, I will tell you. So we were waiting because we knew that they were going to go back there someday. That's right. <laughs> there was a representation made and it was not followed through upon. Uh, well, maybe. Maybe we just didn't recognize the story. Maybe it relates to Philippe rescuing her from the tower. Mm. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe hmm. we need a fourth all the time to knock us in the head. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> me for a <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point. We were expecting to be told a story by Isabeau, though. So there's that. Well, there is yeah. that. And, and she did not explicitly yeah. say the goddess, but, you know, giving the prevailing opinion about how Philippe is connected to the goddess. Yes, you're right. I guess I was looking for it to be delivered in another package where it's like Isabeau saying, Diana, sit down. Let me tell you a story. Yes. Story time. <laughs> Perhaps it will show up in the companion. Because <laughs> I'm still not convinced that that's that story. It could be it could be written off as that was that story and we're like okay but i don't know oh, well we'll see yeah we'll see okay so matthew returns from canada after sucking on a few humans to get better yeah <laughs> something like that yep. <laughs> <laughs> and i'm the one that gets all the grief here <laughs> and then Lord. um when they retreat to bed matthew declares they're gonna time walk yeah by the way we're gonna go back in time yeah i was gonna say and then i think we already touched on it about M, M and seeing M seeing the goddess and M's an enigma to me. I don't know what to make of that character at all, other than if Deb keeps insisting she's the most like M. M dithers. Yeah, she does. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> She does. So that was end of chapter 38, and that concludes We're our chapter discussion. Break off today. Yay! All right, so that leaves us to housekeeping. Housekeeping! These are emails answering Stephen's question. So who wants to start with that? Oh, I'll start. I have uh, an answer to Stephen's question on what made her well up in the trilogy. And Patricia says, what made me well up? I'm going to assume this means cry or almost, in my case, I skip over the very difficult scenes. Yes, Deb's writing is that good. The details create quite a scene in my head. Mine's from Alyssa. Hello, demons. I have several. The first is the barn scene in Sun when Philippe forgives Matthew for killing him in the future. The second is when Diana finds Matthew in the church on the anniversary of Lucas's death, and he tells her the truth about his relationship with Blanca and the birth of his son. In Book of Life, when Jack is returned to Diana and Matthew, and after Matthew is saved from Benjamin, and he holds Becca, and it immediately stops him shaking. Thank you, Alyssa. Thanks, Alyssa. Thanks. You really want me to read Shelley's, or can Shelley say what her no, is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Say what Go ahead, Shelley. 
speak your mind, Shelly. Speak <laughs> your mind. I know this is I responded to something, but uh, yeah, earlier. Stephen wanted to know what made you well up. Oh yes. Yeah. So my thing that always makes me well up is the message from Rebecca to Diana that she is their greatest discovery. Or the, sorry, their greatest secret. That yes. always makes me well up. That's a good one. Mm. All right. So I have one from our lovely New England Angela. And of course, she can never keep things short and sweet. So she's got one from each book. We love you, Angela. She All has right. stuff to say. She has things to say. She's going to say her things. So, so many scenes get me emotional. Some tend to come up when I least expect it. Others get me every time. No matter how many times I read these, though, I always have a lump in my throat. So, from A Discovery of Witches. Septours where Matthew leaves Diana for Oxford to when he returns and claims Diana as his. That's a good one. And Shadow of Night when Philippe forces Matthew's blood rage to show. And then in the Book of Life when Matthew leaves New Orleans, Galloglass confessed his love for Diana, the babies, and Diana and Philippe's final scene. There we go. And that's it for... There's, there there's, is. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's and a, it changes on a day, yeah. daily basis, yep. I think. Yeah. If you asked me today, it'd be totally different from the other day or the last week we recorded or the one I declared was mine. But no, it'd be something different. So, so now we have Save It for the Show. <sighs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Save it for the show. Guys, save it for the show. We get to talk about my favorite vampire. That's right. Baldwin's new apparent popularity. So let's talk about that gene. He's mine. He's mine. I have been loyal and steadfast since I opened up chapter 30. He's mine. (laughs) Well, you were willing to share him with Angela. Yeah. Well, but that's Angela. (laughs) (laughs) Sister wives. She's my FLO. Yes. Uh, Yes, I am. So that's different. She's my FLO. And Jean knows that I've been true since chapter 30 as well. I've never, ever, ever wavered. That that is how we first bonded, in fact. We were the only two who liked Baldwin. There were some outliers out there. There, there were. No, there weren't. It was just us. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'm just going to say you have no one to blame for this but yourself because you guys did the whole empathy thing. I know. Oh, we've been working on this for years. But, yeah. yeah. yeah but it seems like just very recently, all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, I love Baldwin. I'm like, oh, really? I do Where agree, though. Been? I mean, we've been we've been laying the groundwork and we've been brainwashing and doing the water torture <laughs> yes. over and over again. But I do, I do think the empathy route was the, was the ticket, the the yeah. the. the the route that opened up now now to see if we can work the same magic with kit because i'm starting to feel sorry i feel sorry for all the abuse heaped on kit yeah i don't know i don't I think don't. you'll yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i'll ever get on kit's bandwagon i understand where he's coming from but i, I feel pity for him i mean i i just I, it's the Oh, I hate Kit. Well, I don't hate Kit. I feel sorry for Kit. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's like Juliet. I mean, I don't hate Juliet. I feel no. pity for her. No. I, but Kit, I thought he was hilarious. I liked him. I liked his snark. I liked his brattiness. I liked, I, I don't like again, asterisks until he tried to kill Diana. I had no problem with him. Well, and the thing is with Kit is Kit reminded me of some of my smart ass gay friends from back in the day, too. There was always one of them in the crowd who was just like Kit. Mm-hmm. And you you always kept him around. I mean, always part of the circle, even though he was a colossal pain in the ass. Right, like, right. No, so he because they could as long as you weren't on the receiving end of his snark, he's hilariously funny. Right, right. But reading as Diana as we do, it's like God. Can you just put him outside or something? <laughs> <laughs> so, Enough. 
That's an interesting well, she was, thought. As she was also on the receiving end of a snark most of the yeah, time. Yeah, that's so true. There is that. But no, as they do, as they work on the television show, and they're clearly expanding some of the point of views, I wonder if some of these characters that uh, have a smaller fan base, if that'll change. Right. Well, that's true, too. I mean... It may have to. It may have how, to. How are they going to portray them? Or, I'm still curious how Baldwin will be portrayed. Well, we still don't even know who Baldwin's going to be. <laughs> I know, right? Get on that, Deb. <laughs> <laughs> Get on it. I think it's out of her hands. I mean, it's pretty much the uh, production team that yeah, has to... and I, I think that the announcements are all waiting in the green room. They're all there. They, we just yeah. have to, they have yeah, to be revealed. Yeah. Everybody's hired. I mean, Sophie Miles came out because Sophie just sort of blurted. <laughs> Tweeted about it. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that was planned. We were like, No, oh, I don't think okay. it was either. <laughs> but no. Um, Baldwin, I've always had a healthy respect for him. I wasn't enamored with him only because of the way he comes across, and I deal with that type of person all the time like you do Angela mm-hmm. but and I do you know and and it's I'm, I'm used to it I, I'm used to Baldwin's being around but it's just like eh, he's just another blowhard in charge so let's eh. deal with it. it I was never I don't know I'm uh, no you're not anti Baldwin though you get him uh, oh I totally get him I think sometimes I am Baldwin in my head <laughs> <laughs> you kind of are you're kind of bossy <laughs> I do tend to yes okay yeah <laughs> Well, here's the other thing about Baldwin plays more into the alpha male character. I mean, he's more of the stereotypic classic alpha male more so than I think Matthew is because Matthew dithers. There's no dithering with Baldwin. Mm-mm. There's not, but that could go to Baldwin doesn't see himself as having a flaw like Matthew does. Yeah. Like oh, Bal- God, Baldwin, Matthew- Baldwin's like a whole version of Matthew, if you will. Right. Matthew is yeah, the good not- version. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Baldwin's not picking at the scab every single day. Yeah. He just lets it heal over and goes on. Yeah. Which I suppose you have to when you're Philippe's right hand and doing all the shit work. I, I always had a certain respect for them, him and I always saw his point of view. I always saw where he looked at Matthew and was like, oh my God, get your shit together, man. Let's let's do this. We got, we yeah. have things to do. Because that's how I think a lot of times it's like, no, we don't have time for this. Let's just do this and we'll worry well, about the also, rest later. Here's another thought. Do you also think that the, his uptick in popularity as a character may have to do with the changing complexion of the fandom since the TV show has been announced and there's been this new influx of people that could who be. honestly probably just have read all three books straight through? Mm-hmm. Yes. Instead yeah. of yeah. instead of having to suffer and wait? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. yeah. Suffer and let your ball and hate fester. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But see, that helped us. The waiting, we, we got to understand and know Baldwin a little bit better. But I, I guess not everybody thinks like we do. So, yeah. No. no. They just want to, they're just worried about ripping the sheet off the bed and that's yeah. their whole analysis. Right. Well. Okay, ripping the sheet off the bed. Who spends all their time complaining about third base? <laughs> hey, no, no. I'm not, I didn't see a problem with that. It's like privacy? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'm busy here. Go away. Yeah. Yeah. That, does, that just makes him rude. That doesn't make him a bad person. Yeah. Right. We right. never said he was polite. Now, yes. I, I always contend that Hamish is a lot like Baldwin, where he's a problem solver. He looks at the problem and he fixes it. I think my approach, I tend to lean towards Hamish as far as problem solving, yeah. how I, he handles it. You I, know? I, I would go on a limb and even say Deb agrees, because when she talks about problem fixing in the world, she always pairs Baldwin and Hamish together. Hamish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like her comment about what are the two of them 
them doing during Britics. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. And who would Philippe, I mean, Philippe, well, Philippe also created a lot of problems with all his machinations, but who did he go to solve problems and, or figure out a way to get something accomplished? I mean, Baldwin and Philippe are two sides of the same coin. One, one side shinier than the other. It would be fantastic if we could get some interaction between the two of them. Well, my wish someday for any book would be interaction between Baldwin and Philippe and interaction between Baldwin and Hamish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we might even get that in the TV show because there was references in the Book of Life about Baldwin and Hamish playing chess at some point in time, I think. There was interaction between them at some point. And you know they, inter- they interact in Deb's head. I mean, if she pairs them together, she knows. She, they've had, oh, yeah. had many a conversation. Hamish Let him out. was their lawyer, so, you know, Baldwin have, would have to go through them, yep. through Hamish for a lot of things, I would think. Mm-hmm. Well, but not mm-hmm. only that, they have to interact professionally because they're both in finance. Finance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, there's no way Hamish being consulted by, you know, high members of parliament, keep everything afloat, is not interacting with Baldwin Montclair. Yeah. Busy financially Cruise. ruining his enemies, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and and, and the I, master of the universe is sincere. Yeah. I could see Baldwin maneuvering that, you know, sending people Hamish's way. So Hamish looks like the fair objective, you know, but he's really championing the De Claremont initiative. Right. Yeah. That was good. Mm-hmm. We're happy that Baldwin is getting a little more popularity. Respect. And respect. Yes. As long and as everybody remembers who he belongs to. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you got that right, sister. <laughs> Jean and sometimes Angela. There we go. <laughs> no, I share equally with Angela. Oh, okay. yes, I'm just more silent about it. Because, and I don't argue about it because I know Jean has shared with me. So <laughs> yeah, I'm all good. She she's got no complaints. Yeah. All right. And, I, and I've got the armor on to take the... Right. Uh, well, actually, I should say I've, I've heard all of the arguments from the other side. So I was just like, okay, flip my cards. <laughs> That's 42. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. Jean and I have many a sidebar on Baldwin and then Jean goes forth and <laughs> it makes yes. it public. Yes, I am the proclaimer right. of all things Baldwin. So on that note, let's go on a promo break. And after that, we can go last thoughts and things we can't let go of. Find our podcast wherever it is you like to listen to your podcast shows. You can contact us directly by emailing us at demonsdiscuss at gmail.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail. Call us at 360-519-7836. Or you can reach us on SpeakPipe. And that is speakpipe.com slash demonsdiscuss. Now become a discusser. And how you do that is go to demonsdiscuss.com. Scroll down, fill out the little short form, name, email address, Fill out the code so we know you're not a spammer. Submit that and you'll be a discusser and we'll just get to discuss things. So do that. We embed a form on each and every one of the show notes so you can just fill that out too. That's an easy way to get a hold of us. And don't forget to visit our home base. That is demonsdomain.com. Everything we're doing, you'll find there, including our giveaways, our blog posts on the characters, on places. See everywhere Angela goes because she makes some trips, let me tell you. And we can't wait to hear from you. We'll see you on the internet. So who wants to start? I think I, Angela. If she's yeah, got I can one. start. Yeah. I know. We'll yeah. start with Angela. She's no, got one. It's not even a last thought. It's a, more of a, a thing I can't let go of because it's perfection. And everyone, you know, is bringing up Deb's playlist. And I'd say a couple of years ago, before the Book of Life even came out, Jean and I tweeted uh, Deb a song by Kings of Leon, Family Tree. And we said, this. I could totally see Baldwin singing this to Matthew. You know, he knows his family tree is A to Z, all that kind of stuff. And it turns out it's on Matthew's playlist. And I read the section 
in the Book of Life where Matthew visits Ransom and he ticks through the, all the names and he spends like four hours mm-hmm. there. And if you read that section and listen to Family Tree, it's perfection. So that is just something I can't let go of because I just did it the other day and I don't know. It's it's so good. And I, well, I love Kings of Leon anyways, but... Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's it. Very good. Yay! Yay! But that's, that's, that's my suggestion that you, you read that passage and listen to that song at the same time. All right. I'll have it in the show notes just in case you didn't remember what mm-hmm. Angela actually said and her last thought that she actually had. <laughs> Yay! All right, Jean, what do you have? My last thought is also about Ransom. Uh, earlier this week, I was chatting back and forth with uh, Kim Gracia, our beautiful parfumer who does Bohem Life and created all those lovely scents inspired by All Souls. Well, since she's refining and doing some new packaging, we're going to get a Ransom scent. Nice. Ooh. Yes. Yes. It's going to be smell like bourbon and sex. <laughs> Is that how it's labeled, though? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> bourbon and pheromones. Okay. Just like it said in the book. Okay. Bourbon so and she's sex. Do, she, she's going to do it. No, it's not going to smell like the frat house. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> though it probably wouldn't be entirely inaccurate. No. Uh, yeah, so I'm kind of excited about that and kind of excited about the fact she tagged me to say, what do you think this should smell like? <laughs> And you said Saved bourbon and sex. And sex. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I was also I also had a hand in the Baldwin scent, which was sex and money. <laughs> in wood smoke. Always the common denominator, though, sex. Yeah. 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 My brain's in the gutter. What can I say? We, we love it that way. Shelly, what do you have? Um, I think mine is more of something I can't let go. And that is my utter amazement at the reception I have received since coming kind of late to this community. I, I just, it makes me blush and kind of stare at my computer screen in abject terror about how am I going to live up to these expectations. <laughs> it's well-deserved. <laughs> it is. It is well-deserved. You're, you're a rock star, girl. Yeah. No, but it is. It's surprising. I mean, like, wow, people know me. They know I'm Shelly. They know what I do. They know, you know, that yeah. I have a, a child and all that kind of stuff. It, yeah. it is. It's all, it's it's like a, wa- a tidal wave crashing over you. Now you got to stand there and try to surf it. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to our life. For me, from my point of view, it's cool to see. It's cool for me to see that happen to you because it's so well-deserved. Anyone who can make the science understandable with my thick, get it through my thick skull, you deserve a medal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where I'm not snoozing during a panel about (laughs) science. Well done. Very well. Thank you. That'll be my criteria from now on. (laughs) Did Val stay awake? Yes. Score! I'm going to start with a thing I can't let go of. And Jean, this is for you, my dear. Yes, my darling. Okay, this goes back to Take 22. And remember we were discussing Philippe's study and why Matthew was using Philippe's study versus his own office? To write the letters? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so it just occurred to me that Mart and Isabeau and Diana were all upstairs in his rooms. So why would he just be downstairs conducting KOL business when he wants to keep Isabel, Mart, and Diana out of it. He was just downstairs. Might have had to make some phone calls, write some letters. Something to think on. Well, but the thing if it was is his his study was still a floor down right. from where... Right. Separated. It was still separated. I mean, but in this, and the thing that bugs me is the seals were in his office, not in Philippe's old office. There might have been copies don't in forget, there. That was, the only, have... that was the only thing I thought yeah. of. I thought maybe he did not want to be disturbed or interrupted because Isabel could have walked down at any point in time 
time. Or, but do you think he wanted to keep Isabeau out? I mean, because he says to her, Alain knows what to do. Yeah. Do you think he just didn't want her knowing the particulars? That's what I was thinking. Just because he's so private. And that was the only counter I had. It's, it's not, I don't have strong yeah. feelings about it, but I'm saying maybe just, that was a thing. It's yeah. just, you know, weird things that Nicolai is like, wait a minute, that doesn't necessarily make sense. Right. Especially, I don't know, it seemed like even in the Book of Life, it seemed very emotional to go into Philippe's study. And the fact, well, and the fact that the person that they placed in Philippe's study was Marcus, and that's after the comment that was made in, in today's sets of uh, chapters that Fernando recommended Marcus because he reminded him of Philippe. Yeah. That made sense. To, to have Marcus and Philippe's old office made sense to me, whereas at that stage of the story, but with this going on, that's why another reason it kind of went, something's jarring about it to me, and it could just be me overanalyzing. Yeah, it could have been that, eh, I'll just put him in Philippe's study when she was writing it, and it wasn't any, you know, and we're just going too deep. All right, and for my last thought, and then we can end it. My last thought is, I am so thrilled that our people are our people, our listeners, our audience, our discussers. They're so our people that when signing up for our Facebook group, no one hesitated in typing out fucking Fire Drake. No, no one. <laughs> No one. Well, and further, you know, if they answer the other two, they're not even forced to answer the other two questions, but they do. And for people to say, I fucking love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that swear jar is full. You're like, yeah. you're like, welcome home. Come on in. Come on in. Come yeah. on in. So um, we do have a new Facebook group, as we announced in our bonus episode. But if you missed that, mm-hmm. uh, you can join Demonic Discussers. I'll put a link in the show note and I'm not going to put the word in. The word is a phrase and the phrase is fucking fire drake. And if you can't get your fingers to type fucking fire drake, just type F fire drake, F in fire drake or something to let me know or let Angela or Jean know that indeed you have listened and you're willing to join our discussions outside of these microphones. So that's it. I think we're good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. We're good. <laughs> All right. So I want to thank Shelly for thank joining you, Shelley. us. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank Shelly. You. Please come back again. Yeah. It was stupid a pleasure. Questions. There, there are no such thing as stupid science questions. <laughs> it was great having you. Or you can come and not talk, you could come and not talk about science too. Yeah, anytime there you want. That. You can plug in. <laughs> Will do. I don't All know. Right. Yeah, the, the Beverly Hillbillies that's popping in my mind. Y'all come back now, you <laughs> <laughs> I happen to live in a part of the country where y'all is frequently heard. Oh, y'all. <laughs> Oh, y'all come back now. That's right. Me and Angela in the northern tier of the country will just be like, okay, we shall. (laughs) It's just me. Who's y'all? All All right. So let's say goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Jean. Goodbye, everyone. Demon kiss. And that was beautiful. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. (laughs) We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Oh, but wait, there's more. Okay, guys, two things. Thing one, we mentioned that AB positive is the correct answer and that first editions would be the only ones that have AB negative printed in them. That has turned out to be false. Angela and I and Jean all look through our closets. And as you know, we have piles of newer books ready to give away. And we noticed that many of the newer books have AB negative in them. So that statement was not quite correct. 
but all you need to know is the correct answer is AB positive. So go back to look in the show notes. We've put a couple links in there where Deb says so herself, just so there's no confusion. Thing two, we reviewed this episode and we realized there were so many subjects that we could have touched on with Shelly and we were kicking ourselves for not having her longer or maybe doing an episode two. Well, we've rectified that and we've asked Shelly back. We're going to do a supplemental episode just with questions for her, things that blew our mind and we want to expand on it and we're looking for any questions from discussers so look out for that email soon discussers and if you're not a discusser you know the deal become one all right i think that's it bye